0: Ace Podcast. Hey guys, welcome back to the Blood and Black Rum Podcast. I'm Ryan from the TheMoonIsDeadWorld.net. I'm joined with my co-host Martin. How's it going? And uh, we're back with episode 72. Chugging along. The march to 100. I encourage, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Once you get to 100, what do you do? You just stop. Yeah. And it's like, hey, yeah. uh, we're done. That's go, it. Out, go out like Seinfeld. That was the goal. 100 and done. Go out like Seinfeld. That's right. We're into syndication now. <laughs> well, we were 10. That'd be like, fun. We were 10 episodes ago. <laughs> I know. Um, oh, whatever it is. Isn't it like 63 uh, or 65? Well, I think it's like five seasons, technically, or something like that. No, no I think yeah, it's yeah, like 63. Like, it's like 60-something Yeah, episodes. something like that, and you're into syndication. Well, we're into syndication now. Um. So, uh, yeah, 72 episodes, quite a bit. We're coming up to our two-year anniversary. As we said before, we're going to be covering the RoboCop remake because... Um, that's one that we've wanted to do just simply because we did not enjoy it when we saw it in theaters and we haven't come back to it since. And so, uh, and I think we're going to do an audio commentary for that. And the all will be great. That's right. We're going to, we're actually going to do an audio commentary so you can listen along and you would be like, oh, that's the scene they're shitting on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Okay, great. Um, but yeah, so we're doing, a, a, we've been doing. A lot of horror movies and recent movies lately. Like, we've been doing... We did previously The Mummy. And then before that, we did Wonder Woman. So we've been doing a lot of recent, like, current movies. Uh But we're going to throw it back a little bit today. Uh, we didn't even, re- like, really talk on last episode about what we were going to do this episode. Because we didn't really have a plan. We oh, were stumped. That's right. But we came up with something good. Especially because uh, especially now... um not really anything particularly exciting to go see at the theater. No, there's nothing out that's like, um, we've got to cover it because normally the only things that really cover in theaters are like things that really grab our attention, um, or like superhero films because they are like Click a bang. series and you, yeah, it's easy to do them and you know you've got a lot of content for years to come. So, um... <laughs> I think like the next one that I, I kind of wanted, we talked about that I know that I want. I kind of want to see in theaters is like Atomic Blonde or something like that. Remember when we saw that trailer for it? And, um, no, we the, didn't bring it up. No, we didn't bring it up, but we saw the trailer for it. And, and I was the one that said I wanted to see it. Yeah, it just looks like, good and I think it looks pretty cool and <laughs> goes along with kind of the superhero things that we normally do on the show. I was just more like, oh,
1: Well, let's, let's go see that. Yeah. That looks like it's either going to be a shit show or is it like, like it looks dude, like it could
0: be something up our alley either or, way. Or,
1: yeah. It's got both sides of the coin. Covered. Yeah. It's, it's Either, right. It could be a shit show or it could be an extremely fun.
0: Charlie Staron. Yeah. So looks good. So uh, that may be the next one we cover in theaters. But today we're throwing it back to 1973. We're going to get a little funky in here. Hey! Yeah. <laughs> got some James Brown going on. Um and if you've put all that together which I don't know if you really I don't know if it's easy to put all that together and come up with the one <laughs> film in 1973 that has all of those but you we're talking Yeah right <laughs> I mean pretty many of them but we're talking about the uh black exploitation film Black Caesar and I don't know if we've talked specifically about Black Caesar on the show. But I think we, we brought it up. Oh. Yeah, I think we did a little bit. I mean, we've been interested in covering it for some time now since I received it from Olive Films because they rec- they put it out on Blu-ray. I want to say almost it's probably been a year now since they last since they put it out on Blu-ray. We're not going to send you anything anymore. No, they do, but they they're wait, flighty wait. anyway. So it's just you know what? no. I covered all the other stuff. I covered coffee. I covered Foxy Brown. I covered. Um, but we didn't hammer. No, we didn't on the show. But they don't send me the Blu-rays to cover on the show. They send it to me. To well, you cover should on... get doubles. Yeah, I know. Yeah, <laughs> but we use did it, use a different email. And <laughs> at that time, we did cover coffee on the show. We didn't review coffee. Did we? I mean, I think we talked about it a little bit on the show. We I think... talked about it. Yeah. but we
1: didn't review it. No,
0: no, we didn't review it. But we definitely we I remember watching it together. Oh, yeah. I think we talked about it a little bit on the show. Well, yeah, no, because you had
1: you were doing it for your
0: yeah for the blog. Yeah, not for the podcast. Not for the podcast. He's, he's we a whore. haven't we haven't done it yet. He's a whore. I'm sure at some point we'll do coffee because that's why not. That's a big one, and it's got it's big a, ones in it. I said <laughs> about Pam Greer. Pam Greer's in it, so it's got big ones. Um, but Black Caesar was one that we've—I've never seen before. I have. You have seen Black Caesar before? Yeah, I told you that. I didn't realize that you had seen it before. Yeah, I told you that. Ah, oh, I, I, that must just have slipped my mind. I don't remember <laughs> you saying that. Told
1: you today, and like when we talked about it before, we can't have seen Black Caesar before. I hmm. saw. I saw it in college. Oh, it? you
0: saw it in your your history class. Yeah, they played it specifically for you in your history class. Not for my history class, um, because for my one history class, one of
1: the upper level history class that I took was uh history of the black power movement. Mm-hmm. Which is great in and of itself cuz the actual title of the class wasn't that. It was just like um black, like you know
0: general black history yeah. in uh, in America. So you're thinking that you're going to like learn about George Washington Carver and peanut butter or no, something. No, I, know no. I
1: just- no I I I literally took it cuz um my my uh, advisor she, um she said Cause I didn't really know what to take. Cause most of the upper level history classes and um, American history class last week are really were just kind of yeah they didn't because they, they don't they don't have like a you know a huge history you know it's not what it's not, the uh, school is known for it. it's known for education communications and so and meteorology <laughs> what it's where Al Roker's no, I know I alma know. mater it's is deal with it but um. But no, so he, the, uh, my advisor she said he the, he's a great young professor. He's got a great mind. You, you know, you should take a class with him. He's really good. Cause I didn't take because he also taught lower level American history, the both the introductory courses. But I didn't take it because I took the uh, AP US in high school. Right, got five in the exam, and uh, that's my crowning achievement in life. I'm gonna have that in my gravestone. But no, I so I didn't have to take it, so I didn't, you know, get to have a class with him. So I took it, and the class ended up being just his fo- what he wanted the class to be focused on, which was uh the Black Power movement, and a lot of it was black exploitation in film, right? Well, no, not a lot, but we talked. It was one of the things we talked about because you know we, you know we first thing we had to do before we even got to class was read, you know, before we even like on our winter break. We had to read Malcolm X's, like, biography, and we were literally given, like, a three-day notice. Yeah. And it's, like, a 450-page book. <laughs> so I, like, chugged through that. But no, like, we covered, like, Malcolm X and the Black Power Movement and the Black Panthers, and we also talked about, you know, how all this, like, impacted, like, you know, cult- you know, black culture and, you know, coming, you know, having this, like, awareness of, you know, this idea of blackness and then embracing it. And then with that black film, too, at the time... And we watched Sweet Sweet Bag's Badass song and the Spook who sat by the Door. And I like, really liked and enjoyed the class. I really liked him. he's, a, he's probably one of my, probably my favorite professor that I had. And I took my rest of my upper level history classes with him, which also dealt with uh, black history stuff. But for one of my other classes, um, for extra credit, he was doing like a little semi, like a little seminar teaching thing. And he was going to show Black Caesar and talk about the importance of Black Caesar as a film. And how, like, it impacted black culture and black cinema and, you know, the black power movement. And he said, just if, you know, for our class, like, you show up, you watch the movie, and you write a little thing about it, and give it to me, you know, you get some extra credit. Hmm. And that's what I did. And I remember sitting in the back, it like a 300-person lecture hall, and sitting in the back, and before we started, he's getting ready to put the film on. I yelled, like, oh, hey, why, why? Because it's right around Halloween, and me and this one guy uh, that were in the same class, we you know asked him like, "Hey, why are you playing Blackula instead?" And he goes, "That, that he goes that is a disparaging piece of trash and a, a travesty to black people. Don't ever watch
0: that movie." Really, Blackula? And I haven't seen. I mean, I haven't seen I haven't seen Blackula, but I do know that it's pretty well respected and. I would say that Blackenstein is really the one that's the disparaging piece of trash because it's not really it doesn't have anything to I'm, do.
1: I'm sure he would probably have disparaging remarks for
0: Blackenstein. Well, I think really what happened with like Blackenstein because I recently I just watched it because Severin Films released it on Blu-ray. What happened with that is that Blackula did so well. I'm just like, huh? They were like, hey, let's let's pump this out. But that's that's the that's the case though with a lot of
1: exploitation though
0: yeah no I, that's true i mean i think that you know a lot of them did very well they centered on crime and they centered on um you know the 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 problems in inner city with you know whites and blacks living together and and it well, was well, easy to pump them out and and like then everybody jumped on it it's a it's a bandwagon that you no,
1: but no it's um so that's how like i you know came introduced to black Caesar, and no, I mean, because like there are a lot of like black exploitation films that you know you would say like oh they fit the trope of being you know like oh look at that it's a black exploitation film, <laughs> but they do have like r- you know very strong currents and motifs in them about being black in America. What is like bla- being black? What is manhood? What is you know, what's black culture about? How does it, you know, converge with white culture and the racial tensions and problems from that? And then, like, a bunch of these things, like Shaft and, like, Superfly, like, two of them, like, they're very widely known in popular films and, you know, well-known in black exploitation that have those themes, but they're also, you know, like, you can be like, oh, that's, you know, that's black exploitation. Like, you know, got, like, kind of, like, the stereotypical black exploitation. But it's not like they're stereotypes They've set the bar, and then it's these other films that come along that get pumped out because they do well. Like, okay, and then, you know, you get, like, the rip-offs. So They're like, hey, we don't really need that We'll kind of throw some, like, racist stuff in there and whatnot. In. Yeah. And then, you know, but hey, you know, we're going to make some money off of it. Who cares?
0: Yeah. And, you, but, and Black Caesar's not one of those films. No, it's not one of those films at all. It's actually got a very very <laughs> explicit black storyline to it that really it comes out throughout the film and it is sort of one of the better films if you were to watch you know something in the black exploitation genre and you weren't really sure you know what is black exploitation you know it's one of those films that you can go to and see exactly how the genre developed and where, you know it's a better representation really is what I'm trying to say of the Black Exploitation movement than some of the other films within the the canon. Uh Fred Williamson, who stars in Black Caesar, was in a ton of black exploitation films throughout. And I would say that probably maybe half of them are actually like good black exploitation films. Cause and that's not a slight to like Fred Williamson but it's just a, um, I guess an observation of what happened with the black exploitation genre is that it just got oversaturated with things that you, can, like, you, you know. Say, you can
1: say the <laughs> same thing with, like like Grindhouse, right? No, hey, yeah, because absolutely. like you know you,
0: you got like you know Texas Chainsaw
1: Massacre and The Hills Have Eyes, like oh you yeah. know, and then like
0: then everybody a, was like I know, and then there's like there's a one. dirge of shit you gotta also exactly like, you know, and I think that's the case with black exploitation. It's like spaghetti. The, the whole yeah. You never really know, like if you're just setting out to watch a movie for the first time in like in spaghetti westerns, in black exploitation, in Jello. You never really know, like is this going to be a, a good one, <laughs> or is this one going to be you know kind of a generic, um pumped out like let's do it for the hell of it sort well, of you thing.
1: Well, you gotta know black exploitation was doing something right if. The James Bond franchise decided to make a black exploitation film and Live and Let Die. Yeah. Which is you know, Roger Moore's first Bond film is essentially a black exploitation film. It's Bond in Harlem dealing yeah. with a uh, black drug dealer and his black gang. It's a black exploitation film. Yeah. So y yeah. you, you know, like, you know, if if they're like, hey, you know this uh by this, you know, well respected franchise, you know. Um spot about spying and stuff. it's
0: <laughs> him in Harlem. Yeah. <laughs> And that's pretty much exactly what uh, Black Caesar's about is the crime in Harlem and how kind of white people are profiting off of it. Well, black people get shafted and they're relegated to slums and some of them are homeless. And you see that quite a bit throughout. Um, some of them are working for white people and kind of doing like odd jobs on the side as... Fred Williamson's character Tommy does at the beginning of the film, um, and I think that that's really like there's no mistaking Black Caesar in at the beginning of the film. Like this is t- definitely a black exploitation film through and through, despite the fact that it's directed by a white guy, Larry Cohen. Um, it's most certainly it's it's a good representation of the film genre as a whole, and it's also a solid film in its own right, even though watching it in a contemporary setting it may be, seem a little bit laughable at the time but i mean but at i mean now um but at the time i mean even even it was kind of tongue in cheek as well as you know it wasn't exactly meant to be taken as seriously as you know some other action films or something like death wish which we covered previously um it's not as you know serious as those films um let's take a break before we get right into black caesar um to talk about our beard that we've got on the show because we do have a new one today and we'll discuss that in just a second stay tuned and we're going to hear from one of our uh co uh, podcasts that we you know that are part of our uh, podcast network it's kevin
1: and jesse from grab them by the pod a member of the ace podcast network Every episode, we discuss the latest news on Trump, Congress, and everything else in politics.
0: With experience in Congress, on the campaign trail, and lobbying, we bring you an unbiased look at the state of our union. You may
1: or may not agree with our politics, but I think you're going to like us. Grab them by the pod. You know you want to.
0: All right, welcome back. So today we've got a new beer on the show. Haven't had this one before. I don't even know if we've had this, um, the maker of this beer before on the show. I don't think we have. I don't think we have. Yeah, I don't ever buy them. <laughs> We're talking about Lagunitas, and uh, I've had a few Lagunitas beers before. I've had their Czech Pilsner, I've had their IPA, I've had a couple on tap, because when I was in San Francisco, they had it all over the place. So. I, think, I think I've had the IPA,
1: and then like maybe one I think Project 29 had.
0: Yeah, something like that. Um, but I've never had this beer before. It's called the 12th of Never Ale, and it is specifically a pale ale, although it doesn't really specify that on the can whatsoever, uh, besides kind of a description of it. Um, it's it's their version of a pale ale. And to be honest with you, while most pale ales never really – American pale ale. Uh, yeah, American pale ale. While well, most uh, pale ales never really like – I don't think I'm ever really like astounded by a pale ale or anything. It's like uh, you're like, yep, that's pale ale. Um, in this case, the twelfth of never ale is really really good. I I like it a lot, um, and I was really surprised by this beer when I first had it. You know how tasty and refreshing it is. It's a 5.5 percent ABV beer, and while it's not technically like a session pale ale and terms of the alcohol content you know which you would expect it to be kind of lower in the fours um in in this case it's almost sessionable it's a very easily drinkable beer um and it's really good for summer too nice hot days we've been having yeah they it just they describe it as like a pale light and uh somewhat hoppy beer and I think that's really true and I think what really comes out in the 12th of Never Ale is the spiciness of the hop character which is really nice. No,
1: I like it a lot. I I I like pale ales quite a bit. Um as we've said before when talking about pale ales and IPAs, though, I think you know too often the lines the lines been so blurred now. It's you can't really
0: There's not a lot of people making like a traditional... Oh, like a regular pale ale. Yeah. No, not venturing into the IPA territory. Yeah. I mean, great, an American pale ale kind of is more leaning towards the IPA side than the
1: English pale ale. Oh, for sure. Which, I mean, you, you don't find English... Besides, you know, bass, you know, you're not gonna find English pale ales really around here, but... Or, you know, whatever the hell Newcastle's pale ale is, but I haven't tried that, because... Yeah. It's just too expensive to get it the college try, but... But no, I I mean I, I do like I do like Pale Ales quite a bit. I think still my, like my favorite kind of go-to. Though I don't ever really see it anymore cuz they've kind of switch shift gears to more promoting the Legacy IPA in Saranac. You know, you don't see their Pale ale as much around as you used to. You used to always see it in 6s and 12s and throwing all their variety packs, but now it's the Legacy IPA. It's been, you know. Yeah. It's become their new yeah.
0: go-to beer.
1: But I think, like you know, that like for instance, like one of my favorite ones because it's got a great balance between being a hoppy beer, but not overly hoppy, and you can still taste like the malt body to it. I I think with this, I would rank that up there. This is not an overly hot. It is it definitely has a noticeable hop characteristic to it, but it's not overly hoppy to where like. You think you're drinking an IPA, as you said, it is in its own right. It is sessionable. It's very easy, very easy to drink, very crisp and refreshing. I like it a lot. Yeah, I would, I would, I would totally buy a 12 pack of this. I think it's you know uh, good because a, a lot of uh, like you know, especially now that you've been seeing like a lot of 12 and like 15 packs of like certain beers from.
0: These kind of uh, these uh, craft brewers usually they're like a session IPA. Yeah, that's that's like New Belgium has their uh, fifteen pack of the Everyday IPA, which is a, a session. That's yeah. Founders. Or uh, yeah, Founders. I'm sorry, Founders. Yes, which their
1: PC Pills, which we reviewed. Yes. which we
0: also thought was really good. That is rip quite hoppy too. Yeah.
1: But, I mean, um, New Belgium. New Belgium's is the, ale, the easy go. They have the easy-go, yeah. Which I have we not tried. tried yet. Yeah, I I've been to...
0: looking for it, too. I've been looking for it in stores. I can't find it anymore. I saw it the one time, and I can't they find it. They have
1: it, it at, in Tallboys. you can get Stewart's.
0: Oh, do they? You can buy, like, a 24-ounce Tallboy huh. at
1: Stewart's. Interesting. Seven. Um. So I will be giving it a go. Yeah. I don't think it's, a pale- I don't think it's like, a pale ale. I think it's, you know, to be honest with you. I yeah, think I don't it's know more, what it is. Kind of more probably leaning towards, like, a weed ale.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, like I said, I'll have to go and give it a try, but... um. No, I like I like this a lot. This is a uh, hoppy, yet crisp, refreshing beer, very drinkable. And I'm like the hot, sweltering, humid days we've been having.
0: Yeah, this is a good beer to have. Comes in a can too. Comes in a 12 pack of cans. Um, I've never seen it before. Well, now, all, no. all I've ever seen of Laganese around here is like the uh, suck. Uh, the Laganese sucks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, we don't really get a lot of their beers around here you know a few i think i've seen the czech pilsner around too but yeah for the most part we don't we don't get anything so when i saw it i had to pick it up um around here it was 15.99 for a 12 pack which is it's pretty it's expensive but yeah i mean it's a little bit more expensive than like what are It's the same as a corona twelve pack. <laughs> yeah. Or what our like what our Sam's normally go for is like fourteen ninety nine or that's if it's on sale. Yeah, if it's on sale. So it's not I mean it's it's right around average. It's not like it was like an exorbitant price like Bows Point. Because here, Bows Point is like a, a crazy way more expensive beer. It's like twenty one ninety nine for a twelve pack. And I don't really I mean, I like Bows Point, it's good, but I don't understand the I wonder how much that is out in California. Yeah, I wonder too because I'm just it's, – it's a very strange thing like how much more expensive it is compared to other things that we also get exported from California or stuff like that. So you know what I mean? It's just – it's like something you
1: expect from like Stone. Like, here's our four pack of like bastard, arrogant yeah, bastard. Uh, yeah, $30. Again, s- yeah.
0: Stone is really expensive too for for whatever reason. I don't know if it's I don't know if it's set by the maker or if it's set by the distributor the distributor or what. But it's it's odd. But the Lagunitas. But then at the same
1: time, we don't get a lot of
0: Stone either. It's a no, very slim picking yeah. of uh, yeah
1: what you can get from them. And usually, it's just like one of the
0: variations of the arrogant bastard ale. Yep. But the Lagunitas 12th and Never Ale is, I guess it's out now. I'm assuming it's sort of a uh, seasonal. I I think it's probably like a summer seasonal. Um, you should definitely look for it. It's really good. I think that most people who enjoy pale ales are really going to like this, um, especially if you're not into pale ales that really go over the top of the hops character because it does have a, a quite a bit of hops in the front, but I think that it's not as heavy as an IPA would be. It's very sessionable, very crisp and refreshing. And I think that you know, that's that's a perfect fit. This for is just a, making a me think about how like I don't drink pale ales that like that often. Yeah, anymore. there's not that many Like I'm anymore.
1: thinking about it, it's like I can't like remember the last time I had like Saranax pale ale. A Sierra nevada pale ale. Mm-hmm. Things I used to like drink, you know, quite often is like I like, guess like Now it's just always IPA. No, not even like just buying IPA. I, like, I just can't remember like the last time it was like I'm going like, you know, to go for a six-pack of Sierra Nevada Pale yeah. Ale or Sierra Nevada Pale. Like, it's weird. <laughs> I don't even like, look at them anymore. Like, yeah. I, I, I know you can find Sierra Nevada Pale Ale like, all over the fucking place. Boy, yeah, yeah.
0: But you're also looking for something different, too. Mm. So that may be part of it. But check it out. Lagunitas, 12th of uh, Never Ale. It should be in stores, I'm thinking. It's in 12-pack cans. Good beer. So, uh, we're going to take another break to give our podcast friends a chance to, uh, promote their show. And we'll be back with a discussion and, uh, I guess a criticism, uh, cultural criticism (laughs) of Black Caesar. So stay tuned. Welcome to Confession Radio, the show where people write in for advice. My name is Piers Ray. My name is Eric Ivanovich. My name is Bruce Wozniak. My name is Lenny Zerkerman. My name is Dr. Latrice Drain. My name is Dr. John McGrail. And my name is David Allen, creator and host of Confession Radio.
1: Here at Confession Radio, we love to help other people. As you heard, some of the awesome elite team that we have that are willing to help you with your problems— Don't forget to visit the website, confessionradio.net. You can hear us on iTunes, Stitcher, anywhere you listen to your podcasts. And also, we are featured on iHeartRadio. So stay tuned, because here comes Confession Radio.
0: Confession Radio is for entertainment purposes only. All right, on to Black Caesar. Um... This is, I guess, probably an. It's an earlier film in the black exploitation canon, nineteen seventy three. Pretty early, I would say. Um, not, I don't think it's as early as like sweet, sweet, back, sweet. No. Yeah, it's not. It's it's actually, I would say, it's probably around average for some of the more influential films. Like Coffee was also released in nineteen seventy three. Um, I think Foxy Brown was either it was 1974 um the 71s when shaft and sweet sweet Back came. yeah those are the early ones in the in the genre but i think like this is probably more of like a i don't know i would say it's it's probably not it's not early but it's like mid mid yeah it's and it's kind of weird to say that that like within 2 years uh the film was like mid black exploitation genre but that's how things work in the film industry it's like there's a quick phase and then bam it's over um what i mentioned in the beginning of the podcast is that it was directed by a white guy larry cohen who also wrote and directed quite a few other types of films although he really did stick within the themes of like city life um and some of that you know city issues Um, I think it's alive and God told me to, they all really take place within the confines of like a city scape. It's kind of, that was also kind of the thing within the seventies as well of, you know, like New York city area, area, um, settings and things like that. It was a big thing, especially because of all the crime in New York city at the time. This is a good
1: counterpoint to, uh.
0: Uh, you know, uh, vigilante films. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Black Caesar is a good counterpoint to to vigilante films, which are also kind of prospering at the time. Um, Death Wish released in the same year, nineteen seventy three, I believe. Yeah. Um, and it's an interesting. It's also an interesting kind of uh, take on The Godfather. Seventy four. So, oh, Death Wish was seventy four. So it was a little bit after. Um uh, but it's an interesting take on the Godfather uh it's inspired by its predecessor little Caesar, which was a nineteen thirties kind of noir gangster film um that was you know you can kind of see the similarities in this film, although with a much more focused storyline about black people in positions of power and and how Corruption occurs in these city areas when people are working within, the, you know, the the power struggle of mafia and criminal enterprises. In in this film, uh, Black Caesar calls the mafia the national organization, or also known as the syndicate. And um, although, I mean, basically, it's a stand-in for the mafia. Really, they just it's the mafia by any other name. Um, in this case. A lot of Italian guys um, eating spaghetti, eating the spaghetti and, uh, you know, packing guns and, you know, basic, basically generic Italian guy stuff uh, is pretty much what I can say about the, uh, the actual Italian people within the film. But um, Black Caesar, it tells a story of a kid who is kind of paid to do a lot of dirty work by white guys and eventually he grows up and realizes that these white guys are running the city and he wants to kind of take over and I think for the most part Black Caesar it gives its protagonist who's also kind of an an anti-hero in a sense it gives him some uh, I you know good intentions right i mean i think that Black, you know tommy as a central figure he, in the beginning he does kind of have good intentions mm. yeah mm. no i I, well, I mean i think that's part of the point like these are two i think
1: his friend has good intentions true
0: true that's helping him work with him i think well i think that the idea is that tommy as a character he's making this progression at the beginning of the film, when we're in 1963 he's grown up he's become this guy that wants to have this power he his intentions are really I mean he wants power he wants to feel in control and he wants to take that power back from people who in his childhood had the power but white, he also white people white people. But he also does have good intentions in that he wants to give back to the community, especially in Harlem. He wants to make safe spaces for Black people. He wants, you know, he wants to change the scope of the city so that it's a little bit more equal for Black people. And I think that those are the intentions at the start. And as we move forward in Black Caesar, we see how. That power corrupts, and how?
1: But I would say that doesn't that doesn't make him a a hero. It definitely makes him an anti-hero. No, right? No, that's what I
0: agree. I said I think he's more of an anti-hero than anything else. In that we're towards the, I mean, actually towards the middle, and especially at the end of the film, we're kind of rooting for him to go down. I mean, there's no sense. I don't know about that. No, not in the. (laughs) I don't. I don't.
1: Well I don't See I think I think that's going to be
0: um depending on who's viewing the film. I don't mean go going, go down in the sense that the white people should reign supreme and Charles, take him Charles down.
1: Charles Bronson reclaims the no. city.
0: No, I don't mean that. I mean I see like in this film how you you know that could be the takeaway is like white supremacists gotta, being gotta, like, "Well, yeah. I hope
1: those whitey skips get- I know. I, I, I gotta preface this: you, you gotta be careful with them how you unpack this.
0: Yeah, no, I <laughs> I totally agree. I think for the most part, who we're supposed to see as sympathetic characters is actually the people that Tommy used to work with, who helped him gain his power, and now he's kind of stepping over um like helen his girlfriend who we really are we're sympathetic to her because for the most part we see how much she has liked tommy in the past and how he's changed over time to become a person that's really not likable and overly um you,
1: i would say he aggressive i would say she doesn't even really like him to begin with
0: yeah i think it's more forced on her and I think that's part of the context of the film, is that the, the film really moves through time so quickly well, I, that there's not a lot of chances well, for it to... Well, we'll talk about that when we get to give like, context. Like, to Like, flaws, but...
1: I, his relationship with his girlfriend, Helen, I th- is a perfect mirror of the relationships that he has had with society.
0: hmm About, you know, power. You've always got to be the one that has it.
1: From the first, the prologue of the film sets up as him being a young kid living in the, the you know the ghetto and how he's basically doing these illegal things for this crooked cop to because the cop's got a thumb on him. Mm-hmm. He's not like it's not that he's making money cuz he's not cuz the cop yeah. beats the living hell out of him. For thinking that he took his money, whether you don't know if he took the money or not, it's implied that he did, but we don't. We, as an audience, you don't know that. And it's, but even if he did take the money, he's a kid living in the hood. You could understand if he took fifty dollars from an envelope of like say a thousand dollars that was given to this cop because he lives in a poor, rough neighborhood with a single mother, not a, another father, you know, father figure, and he's. He's doing what he's got to do. Yeah, he's a shoe shine for God's sakes. Yeah. He, so he's not living a you know great life. He's got to do what he's got to do to get by. And then the, the whole preface of that what happened is, yeah, him doing that to get a guy killed's a shitty thing. But he's still a kid, and not only that, afterwards for the potential of him taking the money again, whether he did or didn't, it's not really important. It's The fact that how this cop treats him. Is what's important. It's that's the whole crux of it. He's r- overtly racist to him. He calls him the N word several times and be- uh, belittles and bemoans him for being black and for being
0: yeah. I mean, yeah. really, the for, reason we get we, the, we we he makes it clear that the reason that he doesn't like this kid is because he's black. I mean, and, that's and, the, but, but really not like the, that,
1: but it's not only that though. It's the fact that because he's not only white. He's a white cop, cop yeah, he has wieldly power over him, and people like him in this situation so and he can if he wants to beat the living hell out of him for shits and giggles, he can nothing you can do about it and if you you know if the kid want you know tries to screw him over, he could do something that could put him in jail or you know,
0: so yeah, there's really nothing no leverage yeah. at.
1: Tommy, as a kid, has so and from like experiences like that as a kid. When you see after he gets the shit kicked out of him by uh, this cop, and his name is McKinney. Yeah. After he gets the shit kicked out of him, he's in the hospital, and he's talking to his uh, friend Joe. He's saying how like he that's what he wants. He wants that power. He someday he's gonna make things different. That he's so it, again. Yeah, it's like I said. There's several things to unpack. It's it's about the race relation. It's about who has the power and who does it. Like, what... Manhood is an important part of it. Like, what makes him, you know... Not just a man, but a black man. And, like, how and how you deal with that. So, it's all the things from that. Now, going back to what you're talking about, like, his relationship with Helen. It's not like I would say... I wouldn't even say that she liked him or loved him, really. Because, from the start, he shows up to the place she works... Because not really they don't really say that they bend together or anything. He's just kind of hitting on her, but he's there to kill people, to get information um, something over on McKinney. And then and then, it, and, then fro- and he's threatening her to, you know, make some noise so nobody else hears the gunfire. And so he can get away with it. And from that, he asserts his power and, you know, his authority over her in essentially a
0: relationship. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's implied though that she was they were in their relationship previously, and that it wasn't all just at that time. Well, no, because later in the film she says when um, he was using her. Well, not that she was using using her the first time they met was that night. Yeah, but I think that I think that there was the implication when she says that he was using her implies that there was some sort of attraction between them at first before. And not that it really matters in this case, but I just think that in the... in this film itself it's important that we know how much that tommy has changed from where he began to where it ends i think that's the main point and, and really when we're talking about gangster films especially in things like films that are specifically about a person rather than a group that change from beginning where you know there's you're you're first trying to gain the power To the end, when you have it and you're trying to keep it, is really important because then you see just how much that power is corrupted. And I think that's the case with Black Caesar. I think it does a pretty good job of showing how much Tommy has changed from that beginning where he was a kid and he was kind of just doing what he had to do to getting the power, taking it for himself, fighting back against white people in power like the mafia, like cops, like, like McKinney, and then... What he has to do to keep it. And then what he has to do kind of changes him for the worse as we go through the film. And when I said previously that we're rooting against him, I'm not saying that we're rooting against him so that, like, the mafia or McKinney or the white cops in general win and they kill him or they eliminate him from power. I'm saying that we want to see him not go... not die but lose some of that power because of the things that he's done in the process and that he's sort of that anti-hero where we don't really condone his actions but we understand the context in which they're coming from and i think that's important uh when we see the end of the film where it ends up so yeah, no. I th- just I just wanted to explain those those comments and that you know we're not rooting for him to like die or anything like that. It's not that's not the case in the film. Um, it's more it's more just the whole idea that no matter
1: what race and what people, the the seduction and corruption of power.
0: There's a, yeah. There's always going to be that corruption and. In that case, when you're at the top, there's always going to be people on the bottom gunning for you. Yeah, And there's never really... In this... I mean, even in here, there's never equality to that. There's never, like, an understanding. There's always that chase for power that continually runs throughout Black Caesar. Which is a... Not only, uh, like, a interesting political spectrum but also just a, a cultural thematic um idea as well that runs throughout Black Caesar that works very well as a black exploitation film now with that said i do think that black caesar has um some flaws to it in terms of it's we talked about it a little bit but how much it moves through time and so quickly um, it does seem like a lot of the pacing gets chopped up because of the way it has to shift through time. And at one point, we're moving two years in advance, or and nothing's done to, yeah, nothing really happens to give
1: us the indication. Yeah, the only way that we know we got from one point to the end because at the prologue, it says, like, you know, I. August 1953, and then after, you know, the prologue, you get October 1963, and then at the end of the film, it just ends with, like, September 1973, and it's
0: like, what? Yeah. We move <laughs> nine years through time. You
1: don't feel I mean, you don't feel it. Yeah. And not, not only that, um, I know it's a limitation, this is a tiny grape, because it's a limitation of the film of its time and the budget that it's had, but it's, like... If for the most part, if, like, the most of this, like, criminal organization run by him is supposed to be set in, like, the 60s... It's not very period accurate. To in fact, it's like it's like no,
0: we're no because no, it, we're
1: yeah. we're in the hey we're in the heyday of the you know early seventies. Yeah, at the start, like the fifties part. Great right in the beginning. It's like nope. This looks like the fifties, uh, the seventies, not the fifties. Yeah, and I but I that's a small gripe. But I think that that's if they had more stuck to actually like, periods. It and would have it would have been a little bit more clear. Yeah, like, it would it'd be more clear, and you wouldn't have to like be like, wait, we've advanced two years. I, I don't you know I can't tell, but I understand why they didn't because this, this is made on a two million dollar budget. And it's not you know. I think if they did it today, you know, obviously, I think you have to just more go- attention would be given to such things. But I I I don't think they you
0: know. They didn't give any thought to it. They didn't bother because, like, they, it wasn't a concern. You know? Yeah, I think the bigger question just is that, like, why was the timeline such an important part of it? Like, why even go to bother with the fact of, like, okay, now we're three years from where he started. Now we're, you know, in the Christmas time. Now we're six years and nine. Years. I just don't understand, like, why the the specific time frame of it. Was so important to Black because it seems like it kind of muddles the plot. I think a it's bit. I think it's supposed to because oh you get
1: more. It's it, it by extending the timeline and the time period it gives you a greater idea of like how long he was able to
0: get like yeah to hold on to power how long
1: he was in power and then like how the relationships over that time period change
0: yeah but I think the
1: hindrance in the film. The the detriment to that is that because the film doesn't really explicitly say that, you don't get that effect. So yeah. you, it's not you're not really feeling the effect of like his change in relationship with Rufus. You're not feeling the change in relationship with Helen or the change in relationship with Joe. You don't get to feel that at all because it's not it's. See the the main problem with this film is the fact that this is a film that
0: could easily is just over like 85 minutes this film yeah is 90 it's 95 minutes this is a film that could benefit from being two hours yeah
1: it does need a little bit of an
0: expansion
1: because it because it's so breakneck in its pace yeah and how it just moves along because the framework and the ideas of the story are great and really good it's a time like you know it's a time honored idea, like with like Scarface, you know, about power, and but also you're adding these very important like black issues and black topics and about you know the black power movement and about race relations and how you know the black community feels and black culture, and you're adding all these subtexts to it, and it makes for a great idea and a great framework, but the fact that the pace is so breakneck and just go 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 and things are just go go going you don't really get to settle in really what's going on and a lot of the story ends up being told through really off offhand exposition yeah again like the whole we didn't like how do we know like in the one part that it trans. it's been two years it's really offhandedly mentioned real quick that is yeah Uh, helen says i haven't seen tommy in two years and 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 she has a baby
0: yeah and it's just like yeah I and mean, so and so, and, so, and so that and that's part of and that's part I, I will say that in some films that transition that easy transition is praiseworthy because you don't always need a screen cap that says okay now we're in 19 no I'm not 69 say- no, you know I'm what I mean
1: no I'm not saying like have like a screen cap for every time like right. like July 3rd 1970 you know yeah. I'm not saying do that but I'm saying if they had, if the film had more time, you could easily like elaborate more on like relationships right. and you know the growth and the dispersion. But I, I and I understand why they didn't because again, it's a it's a film of the period. Yeah, this I is mean, this is what the films uh, of the uh, period are um, like. Can or, you
0: imagine a two hour black exploitation film such as this? I, I don't really see it, Jackie Brown. No, I'm saying <laughs> that I I think that at this time with this low budget 95 minutes is pretty much what they got to work with you know they've got to get it in in that no and that's what i am saying. and that's and what
1: i'm saying i i'm not full, i mean like i said if they were to do it today i think that would be a modern benefit sure, if they were sure. to remake yeah. it but i i it's a problem with the film but I'm, i i understand i can like i totally understand the flip side yeah, i you, understand why it was you can forgive for that. i can like you know Forgive it. it. like So, like, in the case, you're really going to have to pay attention. Oh, yeah. When you're watching this film to, like, the dialogue, because, again, a lot of key points are
0: quickly exposited onto you. The whole uh, aspect of the ledger, if you miss that in the beginning part of the film. Yeah. It's, it's in that's the whole, uh, glue that holds Black Caesar together. So if you miss that part of the the explanation, you're going to be lost when you're talking about ledgers and ledgers and years later, ledgers and the final scene, there's a ledger book in it. It's like you got to really make sure that you catch that part of it. I'm not saying that it's necessarily a bad thing to really expect that from your audience that like, oh, they've been paying attention all along. But at the same time, I think that Black Caesar could have done a better job of Maybe just giving more context to it with I think it what's necessary is a longer a longer film yeah hour and 45. we don't normally say that no we don't, normally you don't. say fucking cut this thing down you know superhero films cut it down no. one fifty that's good <laughs> but in this case you do need a longer film and and even. A shot of a movie theater with the Godfather blazoned on the marquee—you can tell where the inspiration comes from. The, you know, the mob aspect of it, Godfather esque, um, and also to influenced a, by noir films. I'll obviously. say, well, to to a point. I won't, yeah, say, I won't a, say it's like
1: hand in hand with the Godfather. No, 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 <laughs>
0: no. I'm not. I'm saying like yeah, obviously was an inspiration, um, helped to. Build the world of this film, but well, you definitely want. To, if there's a film you
1: want to be ripping off, you want to be ripping right. Off, exactly the biggest film at the time you that would, won, you know, best
0: picture. The that, Godfather. That's what you would want be to be the one that you want. Yeah. Um. Well, even if you don't know exactly what's going on at all times, you do have James Brown's soundtrack to help you follow along, because the soundtrack is really almost like James Brown sat down. They put the 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 scene on in front of him, and they said, "James, you write a song about that." So he did, quite literally, writing a song about specific things happening within the film. There's a whole scene where, out of really out of context, um, Tommy is in a cemetery, standing over a grave. Uh, this is out of nowhere. Like, where where's the grave coming from? No, we don't know that anyone died. There's no mention of it at first, and James Brown nicely comes in with the excellent lyric, "Mama's dead," and you know, okay, okay, all right. Tommy's mom died. We've seen her like one time previously, once in well one scene where
1: Tommy buys uh Law- his lawyer and his wife's apartment and everything in it, including the maid, including the maid and the clothes and the furniture, buys it from them. And the maid just so happens to be his mom and he bought it for her. And, you know, the, his mom explains he won't, she won't work for him. It's, you know, she's embarrassed. You know, she, you know, and that, that brings up like a whole, you know, other. You know, racial subtextual thing of how you know her generation dealt with you know how they dealt with the, their situations because you know she's systemic racism, yeah, and how she's just she just views herself as a maid and she's you know like she can't like I like you know I was like I did this for you, I bought this for you to live here, and so you don't have to work anymore, or do anything like that, and she's like I can't
0: live here, they'll hang me. Yeah, there's even the offering of white people as as maids like, yeah. to take care of her. And I think that's an interesting uh, criticism of how she feels, too. Because when you live in systemic racism for that long, you start to feel like that's just the way it is. You know, that's – for her, she is just a maid. That's That's the way it is. And she's been ingrained to feel like that. And it's kind of interesting how that takes place and how we have Tommy who's – the one who can subvert that. Well, and that, and that brings up the whole, you know, um, like the whole idea of
1: blackness and black culture in mm-hmm. the black power, movement. Cause you have a lot of, you know, if you go like back to like the, you know, thirties, forties, and fifties, you have like a lot of things being like, uh, marketed towards, you know, black people. Like, you know, like, this is how you gotta have your hair. Like, in this straight hair. And you gotta, you know, look like this. And we have things that can make your skin look lighter. Because, you know. Yeah. It was, you know. Wigs and stuff like that. And you have that whole, like, you know, generations of things, you know, that kind of, like, you want to be what? You want to look what? You want to, you know, try to fit in with white culture. And the 60s, you know, the 60s when you had... You know, with Malcolm X, and then eventually, you know, the rise of the Black Power movement and the Black Panther Party. This is like, wait, no, let we can we should be able to embrace our, Af- you know, our culture and our African roots, our curly hair and things like that. You know, like why why does you know John over there get to you know be like, oh, I'm German, and like look at the things that you know mm-hmm. Germans and like oh, or if you're Italian, like this Tony's, you know, he got all these Italian things that he can, you know, why can't we do the same? And that's you know, that's a prevalent part of this film and it's a prevalent part in exploitation too is the whole embracing that culture and embracing you know being different mm-hmm. and you know having a value of that which it's hard to believe and think about but it's radical at the time
0: yeah and
1: sure. you know to be honest with you, it's still kind of radical today because you got people saying well if that kid only wasn't wearing a damn hoodie yeah he wouldn't have gotten shot that's right and that's like that's an asinine thing to say Man, if someone's, like, around here, like, well, if he wasn't only really wearing that cowboy hat... Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. He wouldn't have yeah. gotten shot. I know. Yeah. Stupid. Um, I think that Black Caesar does a lot of things really well. And the um, soundtrack is one, though we did do make yes. fun, fun of. James Brown is always a delight. Yeah, it's a, it's a good soundtrack. I think that it's one of probably one of the better soundtracks for black exploitation films simply because it's it's catchy it's got a good great tunes to it um as you heard in the beginning of our our uh and podcast yeah. episode you know there's a really catchy theme song to it um called the boss and down and out in new york down and out in new york is another great one um yeah they're really good funky tunes and i think that it I think this
1: really kind of it's good until the end cuz the end they just kind of just throw
0: yeah they start... e-
1: everything they had at the end and just you know like yeah. cuz for some reason they decide to make it silent and they're like oh there's some songs we still it, you shit we got to
0: you know yeah throw them in there and throw them in there and just make like... sure that they relate to the plot quite a bit <laughs> yeah um I think there's a, a lot of uh unintentional humor to Black Caesar as well uh, most notably, I think a, I, there's a a lot of explicit racism in it to the point where it's almost humorous in the way that some of the white characters are so stereotypically racist. It's almost like some of them are trying to outdo each other in the on the racist scale. Yeah,
1: but I think I think it's, it's that that's the thing I think with like today though, like in our. Highfalutin cultured society of twenty seventeen. It might seem outlandish, though. But me, yeah. no, no, it really shouldn't. No. Um. At the same token, I mean, it's. I'm. I'm. You can talk to several African Americans, and you know, other, not just African Americans. You know, Muslims and Asians and stuff. Yeah. And the, you hear. Like I do is go on social media. No, and I know. And I know see, that like, it's... you'll see like a, a story of how like, well, the, here's a tale of how some Syrian woman on a tr- subway and you know so in w- whatever given city was you know accosted on film today, and the yeah. person just didn't care. Like how this woman at a supermarket told a Latino to go back to you know. I mean. It, you would like to think that that's comically over the top, yeah. and you know, yeah, I would, rid- I, and ridiculous. Yeah, unfortunately, even still today, it's not. You have, yeah, and that. in the context of this film, it sure is shit. Again, this is why I tell people when you see people say, like certain people we know, well, more you than I, but about like. <laughs> Ugh. Things like this didn't happen until Obama came into office, or, you know, like, uh, you know, there wasn't a problem, you know. Yeah. This is a new thing of, like, the pot getting stirred, and it's like, I think people forget, it's like, it has only been 50 years since the Civil Rights Movement. Yeah. 50 fucking years! We're not even a half, like, we're barely over a half century since, you know things were really starting to move towards the direction of equality for black people in this country. Yeah. Though, cultural differences and acceptances have changed quite rapidly, and even more so today, like, again, if you think about it, like, even like five years ago, like, you know, gay rights weren't you know viewed nearly as they are today. It's right, you know yeah. been a pre, you know pretty quick shift on that. But again, it, I, th- I think as technology evolves, and you know, as the way technology has increased like constantly tenfold over and over again, I think that's the same that you're seeing with like cultural movements and acceptances today. Yeah. But so, going back to them, like, it's going to be a slower process. So, like, again, this film's only not even a decade after Martin Luther King's I Have Like a Dream Speech. Yeah. So, again, it's not like, it's not like overnight after, like, the Civil Rights Act was passed and, you yes. know, <laughs> those damn racists packed up their bags and goes, damn it, you know.
0: Yeah. Oh, we're wrong. We, <laughs>
1: fuckers got us again, you yeah. know. No, it is. We, we, we. Carpetbaggers, Baggers got us again. All right, boys, pack up, you know, p- pack
0: up the burning crosses. It is kind We're, of... We, we've lost. It's, <laughs> it's hard to kind of gauge exactly, like, in this period, like you said, ten, not even ten years after c- civil rights movements and things like that, like, what kind of impact this would have had at the time. Because now it just seems like, oh, you know, that was a cool little period for black people in film but then it was a huge like experimental and also culturally relevant and impactful and powerful and yeah powerful time not even that but also very i would assume scary time in terms of like being a black guy starring in these films especially like fred williamson imagining like their first films doing a black exploitation film I would assume it would be pretty scary.
1: But at the same time, I think it's... To that... It's, it's probably saw it also as empowering.
0: And oh, sure, and, sure. And embraced it. And, sure. You know. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, like, I agree. It's, I mean, it was like probably a little bit of both. And it know, probably
1: scared the, you know, the hell out of, you know, white people too. the... Yeah. I know. Uh, trust, you know... They're a, in our movies now. I know. There's a, there's a reason <laughs> why, you know, white... You know, if you... Like, when people think back to, like, you know... Like, with things like today, like, the black, uh, you know, the whole, um, why am I drawing a blank? I'm having, like, a really serious mental fart I'm
0: not sure what you're, I'm not sure what you're getting at. Uh. Hands up, don't shoot, uh. Oh, Black Lives Matter. Black Lives yeah,
1: Matter. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't, I literally don't, I apologize. I don't know why I was having such a, like, yes. a brain fart, like, piecing that up, you know, in my head. <laughs> but, yeah, so, like, with, like, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement and stuff, you got a lot of, you know, people being like, uh you know, particularly white people being like, ugh, all lives matter. No shit, Sherlock. Yeah. I think that's kind of, you know, they're saying, hey, we're kind of getting shafted here.
0: We're focusing our, on this right now. Our
1: lives matter, too. It's not, you know, but you're, like, so, like, they're, they're like, missing the point. And you also got people, you know, saying, to like, oh, well, Martin Luther King would have, you know, if you only did it like Martin Luther King. And it's like, do you, do you really? You, I'm sure if, Martin Luther King came to, like, your diner or whatever and sat down and interrupted your breakfast with a protest. You'd be pissed off. Into, oh, yeah. And we'd be saying, like, get the cops down here and drag their ass." I'm not dealing with this shit. Sure. And then you'd be just as equally pissed off and even more afraid when Malcolm X rolls into town and he's like, you know, by any means necessary, we're going to get what we, you know, our yeah. rights. And if that means being an armed militia, then so be it. You would be scared, you know. People would be, yeah. So I just, I just find like the kind of whole, it's like, just think, just think, just think about like the whole context and the whole. And again, like I said, again, it's we, our grandparents lived through this.
0: Yeah. It's It's, not even uncles. Yeah. Uncles lived through it.
1: And so it's again, it's again, it's it's not like,
0: it's
1: that's why I say it's like, this is not like some far off like thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, and I, but, you know, and I urge people to kind of, you know... Yeah, you
0: kind of have to view it in a, con- a historical context and kind of... I, at that point, when you're thinking about it, it's a lot more inspirational. It's a lot easier to kind of dive into the whole concept and context of the film and understand the empowerment within it. I think that's... I think it's really important, when you're especially when you're watching something like Black Caesar, which probably you could easily just take for face value and kind of laugh at the more over-the-top things that are included in it, like the squib bullets yeah, yeah. ridiculous action sequences. And, you know, there's a lot of things here that are unintentionally funny that... It's literally, with the squibs they use, it's
1: almost like they literally... You're right. Well, that's, like, to me, like, was Screaming Godfather Like, they literally saw Sonny getting shot at the toll booth. Yeah. I'm like, we can do more than that. We can, yeah. we can, that's the one thing we're going to invest in. We're going to invest in a shit ton of squibs. This is going you know, it's actually pretty revolutionary for the time, too, because you're seeing people getting shot in the head. And the, Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a pretty violent and, film. And, you know, for... and,
0: and, like, bullet hole left from getting shot in the head, so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a pretty explicit film, all things considered. Um there's a lot of violent scenes in it that you know there's like shoot 'em up scenes something you know you know in this case we've got the black gang with their tommy guns you know kicking down doors and busting into a pool party in a California mobsters resort um it just makes me think when I saw the whole pool party thing when uh, Gus
1: Fring goes and, you know, takes out his former boss in oh, yeah, yeah, Breaking yeah, yeah. Bad, except, yeah. except with, you know, he does it more subtly with poison. And, yeah, this and seems... just, It just makes me think of... I love... Just imagine Gus Fring showing up to that pool party and, like, <laughs> just instead of, like, coming out with, like, poison, he kicks down the door and he's, like, got well, an AK. And just, I,
0: I love the over-the-top nature of the things that happen in Black Caesar. Like, at one point in that, during that pool party scene we're supposed to, like, kind of think that these black guys are storming the compound secretly, you know, silently storming through. And then all of a sudden, a black guy in a white suit pops up on a <laughs> rooftop and starts shooting people. It's like, yeah, that was stealthy. That was, you know, you were hidden very well in that white suit. He was always dressed really, you know, fly. In this yeah, way. yeah. He, he always had, like, the But nice, I love vibrant... how over-the-top some of those things are. I love the guy who jumped off the shrubbery and clotheslined a guy. <laughs> like, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. At, at least some of those moments Another guy. feel like accidents. and, and
1: <laughs> No, they, they totally are, because there's one scene where you see, like, five guys jump off from the bush and onto the ground. And, like, four of them land on their feet, and the one guy, like, strips and falls into the bush and lands, like, face-flat on the ground. I feel like it's Larry like, Cullen. Yeah. Like, the one guy probably got up, like, no, redo that! I found the bush. No, no, we only have enough film for yeah, this Larry,
0: one. T- Larry Cohn is like, "That's it. No, we're we're taking that one. You're gonna look like the asshole that fell, <laughs> while everybody else landed properly." But um, there's a lot of scenes like that. I think that you know, in watching now, the action seems seem a little cheesy. Um, but it's
1: a great, It's a great cheesy.
0: Though. It's a great cheesy, and I think that it it adds to the the film's atmosphere, the aura of it, and. While you're, while a lot of it is serious and a lot of it does have a lot of plot and cri- um, cultural criticisms, I think that like that little bit of cheesiness does help to kind of disperse some of the over overly serious nature of like how you might view Black Caesar. It's like good comic relief. Um, I I think it works really well, and I would say that some of the more serious scenes do have funnier undertones to them i don't know if it's intentional or not um i don't i tend to think that larry cohen was more so going for a fully serious direction and some of those scenes now as contemporary audiences we find funny but i think either way I, I I,
1: i agree i don't think they're sitting there yeah, laughing their ass off. I mean, I,
0: either I, way, I, I think it works though. I don't. I don't think it's like uh, it's not. It's like
1: it's not just there's a like most films that you could think of the you know not just black exploitation, but yeah, not just of, of, of several genres that have like action scenes like that that follow them. Again, somebody getting shot and like they're on a ledge and they are just like ah, you know, tumble. Like all this film was missing and like for stuff like that was like a Wilhelm scream.
0: There's even a uh, car explosion, which is the norm yeah. for '70s action films. So Bronson I'm, was nearby. Yeah. So the, actually there is a low rent Bronson in this. Oh god, guy yeah. that looks just like Charles Bronson. Um, <laughs> I think that uh, you know, for the most part, this is a really fun and intriguing film, and I think a lot of audiences now should really check it out. I think it's it's up there with some of the other better black exploitation films in terms of like the ones that you need to see in the genre.
1: No, I agree. It's well up there for me,
0: and it's it has a sequel too, which we have not seen. I have not seen it. Now it's called Hell Up in Harlem, and it was released just months later, like like about nine months after Black Caesar released. That's something I kind of miss. I mean, I didn't live <laughs> through it. So I can't really like fully appreciate and
1: miss, but I kind of miss that with like film and not only film but like music. Hey, you know what you can guarantee every year four seasons and three Beach Boy albums. Yeah, there's a new <laughs> one coming out. And, you know, and, like say like or, like you know like two like like you know like each artist has like two to three albums each year. Just imagine that today. Yeah, well, I mean, like it, like a Lady Gaga is
0: pumping out two albums a year. The horror genre tends to do that a little bit though. Like Paranormal Activity for a little while, you could like guarantee. Okay, there's a new one coming out next year.
1: Soft no, that, no I know, I know, I know. That's yearly. I'm I'm saying like extreme oh, within like, the year. Yeah, like yeah. like you know. Because if you like, if you think like, again, you think about it, like, yeah,
0: some some they some, they really are, have... some,
1: of, some of the most well received <laughs> albums of all time from like the Beatles and Dylan and the Beachwood came out in the same like like. Not talking about like the albums that they all did, but like they made an album and then later in the year made another album and is considered, you know, just like just like it just that like just thinking about it just like blows my mind. Like, so you mean to tell me in the same year, Dylan did another side of Bob Dylan and bringing it all back home? I can't imagine somebody today like having like the forethought, but like, I got to put that much kind of creative input. I mean, output like out in a yeah. Unless you're Dean
0: Koontz and you, yeah, right. It's actually more. uh prevalent in the book industry of, like, make sure you get two well, I think out exactly, a year. Well, no,
1: I think somebody realized that, like, if you have a hit <laughs> album, you can milk that mm. until,
0: you know... Tour on it for four years before you you put on a... Yeah, no I, think,
1: no, I think record execs. But, I mean, granted, if you think more like the 50s and 60s, like... You'd get an artist, and then you push them and push them until yeah. people didn't care, and then you just, you know, yeah, get rid of them and get another one. So I mean, it is the both both methods of production have their values and downsides. Like, you and it it
0: sounds like that was the case with Black Caesar, in that it did really well, and it had, but it had the thought behind it, and then because the, like hey, hey, you know. This did really
1: well. We want a sequel before you know these people are gonna want more money. Yeah. <laughs> All and, right. Yeah. We'll just we'll think of something. So. And that was
0: good forethought too because this was kind of like the the start of Fred Williamson's career in black exploitation because he really skyrocketed. He he like started doing films film after film after film. Kind of in the same vein as Pam Greer after she really hit started him with coffee. It was like film after film after film. Like let's get Pam Greer in a film. So I think, like, that was a good – I mean, they were they were right on in that, hey, lock right Fred on. Williamson. Yeah, they were like, lock Fred Williamson down, get him in for at least hell up in Harlem and, you know, make sure that we can still get him for the same price. It's a, it's a, it's a good idea, I guess. So we haven't seen hell up in Harlem. It might be something that we check out uh, in a later episode and cover that because I'm, I'm interested to see – what happens with Tommy when we go from here
1: cuz at the end of the film it's uh pretty pretty
0: clearly hinted at he's dead <laughs> well it's either hinted at that, that he's dead or just like very i mean he's mortally wounded th- for like an entire day before the enti- the last scene takes
1: yeah, place yeah no he has a 38 slug in mean, him and he's <laughs> right in his f- stomach and liver and he's been walking around you know so, beating the shit out of people for a day and then he gets the shit beat out of him yeah huh? even
0: if the, the kids that beat him up at the end of the film didn't actually kill him the thought is that who's who's gonna get there to save him because he's already been bleeding out all day and night with his 38 slug in him so yeah I'm, I'm interested to see how hell up in Harlem comes back with him because he is the main character again in that film how does Tommy survive that crazy night and day just that he ima- had. Just imagine if they did, like, a Shaft versus Tommy
1: film or something like that.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. Like, or even just, like, getting them paired up, like, Coffee and, you know, Tommy or... yeah, you know, it's interesting that, like, how they... Cleopatra Jones. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It would have been fun. I think it would have been fun to have, like, sort of a crossover it's so like maybe that's like an idea for comics. You know what <laughs> I mean? Because comics are always really trying to revitalize those old ideas. Like I think even there's like a new Shaft comic and stuff like that. So that would be something like get Shaft and coffee together. You know, be a cool crossover. All right. So uh, out of 10, um, what's the gun that he uses? Mauser C96. Yeah, out of ten Mauser C96s, which we didn't even really mention, but this is pretty much an unwieldy pistol for someone in Tommy's shoes. Just because it uses a stripper clip seems annoying.
1: Yeah, the, 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 there's kind of a reason why box magazines won the day over stripper clips.
0: Yeah, especially and it, you know for pistols, we never actually see him loaded either. No. So that kind of explains why he would use it, because... Which I always found funny in Red Dead, because that's a semi-automatic yeah. pistol, which is one of the better
1: guns, and, like, when you go to load it, he's, like, you just really quickly see John Morrison, like, oh, you know, like, yeah. putting in, like, one at a time, like, like, stupidly quick, kind of like how, uh, with some of, like, the bolt-action rifle, like, the trap, like, you know, the trapdoor Springfield that he, used, like, yeah. Well, no, I, I thought it was funny. I, I, I thought it was funny more, too, because I was just thinking of, like, I, like, things like that made me think of, like, Lupin, just like, like you know, Lupin uses his Walther P-38, Jigen uses his Smith & Wesson, you know, double-action combat magnum, and Fujiko, and the pilot, well, at least in the original pilot film, one of the scenes she's using, like, a Mauser C-96, and... I can understand why, because it looks, looks cool. cool. It looks cool. And looks all, yeah. different than yeah. just like some regular old yeah. gun. Yeah, it's you know, it's got a nice aesthetic to it, and that, and like with just like how it kind of looked and held it and used it, and then like with like the music, it just made me think of like, yeah, you know, this this is making me think of like Green Jacket Lupin. It's great, like because like you know when he's like, he's the boss man. Yeah, and stuff like that is making me think of like Lupin. Even he, though he's was, a nice man, yeah. but he gets angry sometimes. <laughs> yeah. So, no, I, so that was cool. But, no, um, but yeah, no, that was cool.
0: So, uh, yeah, out of 10, Mauser C96 is what would you give, Black Caesar?
1: I'd give it an 8 out of 10.
0: Yeah. I like it a lot. I
1: agree. I think, I, I think it's, I think despite the f- fact that it's set at a breakneck pace, um, it's mainly really the only, like, Huge flaws, like the fact that the film doesn't have any time to breathe, story-wise, and the framework and concept of the film gets cut, totally, it was just smashed in in because of the, how fat it moves. Um, other than that, I think it's a really enjoyable film. I think James the score by James Brown's great. Um, definitely fits the mood, so, and the tone of the film, and. Overall, it's just a great listen to. Um, I think Fred Williamson is very good in this. I think he's very enjoyable. You know, he plays a nasty son of a bitch pretty well. But also, you know, he, he does have charisma to him that does make you, you know, like, oh huh, you know, he is likable. Um, I do think the supporting cast we didn't really talk too much about, but it's mainly because it's not really Dude. well-known cast. But, I mean, that's... F- you know, fair for the day, yeah, in films like this. They're usually, I mean, we got
0: you know, Derville Martin, who is pretty much hand in hand with Fred Williamson in most black exploitation films. It's pretty good, as Reverend Rufus is. his. his not have a bit, yeah, yeah, he it's, have... not, it's not a big part. And I would I argue that almost everybody in this film doesn't have a very big part in comparison to Fred Williamson, no, I mean, McKinney. Has probably the second biggest part. And I did Pla- think Art Lund is played him. as Art Lund, yeah. yeah.
1: He was, I do think him as the uh, Captain McKinney, he was, you know, very good. He was a totally nasty
0: son of a bitch. Believable, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know if you, I mean, I, I think that's great. I don't know if you, like, want to be remembered as, like, I can totally believe that white guy's a fucking asshole racist. You know what I mean? Like, he just looks like one. He could also play a Nazi sympathizer. <laughs> but again, that's like, that's like fair for the time. Like, just think of like all, like, not just,
1: again, not just black exploitation films, and like but like the Vigilante and the cop films. Stuff like, like, you know, think of like French Connection, you know, Gene Hackman as Popeye Doyle, you know, oh, he's a cop who's an alcoholic bastard, but, you know, he talks about how he hates Latinos and blacks, but like, oh, you know, he's still that hardworking cop, you know. Yeah of the course. It's, it's, you know, one of Hackman's better and well-known roles, it's like, you know, that's <laughs> what he is in the film. He's a mean, nasty, surly son of a bitch who, you know, who, fuck it, is a racist. Yeah. Same thing, like Archie Bunker.
0: <laughs> yeah. But, you know, like, oh, you know. Wife beater. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I, I mean, just...
1: no, I, you're right. I wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't want to be, like, typecast into yeah, this, like, like
0: Art Lund, the guy who can play racist people, really but at know. the same
1: time, kind of going off the whole Hollywood shuffle thing. Do you really want to be, you know, the guys going to black acting school who's like, <laughs> "What did you do? I played a mugger three times, uh, a <laughs> kidnapper twice, a rapist once." <laughs> like, oh, very good. You yeah. know, great roles. Um, but you know, I, I think the acting though is pretty enjoyable. Though, like, some of it... Some of the character, the actors in it are pretty damn wooden and not good. <laughs> but, that, again, that's kind of par for the course, and I... I for films like this, so I, that doesn't bother me. I think it come, it gives like a little bit of an endearing charm to this. Like with some of the side characters who are
0: like the his lawyer, who's just like the I, who's like you know like a literally like a piece of pine just sitting in an office. I think you're talking about Myrna Hansen, who plays the lawyer's wife, who it looks <sighs> pretty much like s- smacked out for most of the film. <laughs> Um, two snorts and three yeah. gin and tonics in. And she does. <laughs> she she really does. And a lot of her deliveries are as wooden and hard as the bed that she <laughs> says is in her apartment building. So pretty, you know, I think that's who you're, yeah. yeah, but I agree. Like some of the, you know, some of the people that just make little cameo appearances yeah. could, could do, you know, they, they're just there. Yeah. They're pretty much extras at that yeah. point.
1: And, um, and I do think um, the overarching themes and ideas in this film are put out there well enough. They're not, and I would say too, they're not overbearing. Like what I extrapolated from this film is a lot, and I think you have to be somebody who's actually conscious and thinking about, like thinking about it, to get that. And I think that also comes with, like, the time that the film was released, because you could be more kind of not heavy-handed with those types of themes, and the viewing audience is going to be able to get it. I think today, with how some people have been kind of laissez-faire towards these types of topics and issues, might just totally ignore it or not read that deep into it, because they just don't care and don't want to really... Think about it. So I'm not blaming the film for that because I was able to get it. But at the same time, I could also see how it's not. But at the same time, you don't want it to be heavy handed at the end, like you know, like you know, like a little fairy comes down from the sky and
0: like here's the moral of this story. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I. you know, I I agree with you. I think I would give it an eight as well. I think it's a pretty strong black exploitation film. Uh, certainly more enjoyable than some of the other more generic black exploitation films, because sometimes they tend to run even at only ninety minutes, they tend to feel a little bit long. Like their storyline just doesn't have enough plot to work with. Uh, that's not the case with Black Caesar, as we mentioned before. It actually could stand to be a little bit longer. Um, but I think that everybody does a really good job within the film, Fred Williamson, particularly, um, I think he's even better in this film than what I've seen him in, in other films like hammer. Um, and it, ha- it definitely has a, a better, um, cultural criticism than some of the other films that I've seen him in. Um, I think that the themes are really strong. I would uh, disagree a little bit and say that I think that, While the themes themselves do require some thinking and actual wokeness
1: engagement from the audience.
0: I think that some of the explicit racism is a little is a little over the top in that, you know, it's kind of hitting the viewer over the head with it. Well, I you know, I think that it's probably in the seventies it may have been a little bit more common than we even expect today. Um, I just, it's seen it reads now as though it's maybe a little bit over the top, but I could be wrong. I mean, it could be exactly the way that it was and just very openly people were like, well, I don't like the black people. Um, but to me it, it feels a little over the top. Um, other than that though, I think it's a really fun film besides, as we said, the sort of pacing issues with some of the, the time jumps, um, and a, and a couple of unintentional, funny sequences but other than that the goofily sped up jumping out of the tab. oh yeah yes, yes yes the goofy yeah yeah and th- this is a film you can absolutely see you know because that's a that was a, a thing that they would use a lot is to do do like a very very slow car ride and then... in a stunt sequence and then speed it up it in post and the, that's
1: the worst offender i think i've ever seen in film of something like doing that is the bond film thunderball at the end where there are like there's a bond's fighting largo on a sh- this ship and they have aerial shot actual aerial shots of a ship out at sea and the ship sped up like, and then they go on to the fight on the ship and it's obviously like a state sound stage of a ship and then a green screen and it's hilarious Because the like, Largo and Bond are fighting, and the henchmen are fighting. There's a green, they're on this boat, and then a green backdrop. And then the boat steering wheel is, like, thrusting all around in, like, different directions. And then the green screen on the boat is this, like, boat going, like, 70 knots. Like something like like, like, like supersonic speed, like it just like shifting around the water, and oh, it looks so bad and so awful. It's like who thought that was a good idea? <laughs> it, like it's like, even in the '60s, you would be looking at it like, like, what the fuck? This is awful.
0: <laughs> what do they? What do they do? That's pretty
1: funny. What? Do they do? I'll have to show it to you. Yeah, yeah, because well, because so awesome.
0: because it's absolutely, That is absolutely dreadful. Um. Yeah, but I think like. That part of it reminds me of Fred Flintstone, like you know, using it, you know, in the car with his feet, like, where yeah, it's like... <laughs> or like, yeah, when like Shaggy and Scooby like running and like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> running in place or something like that, yeah, yeah. But other than that, I really like Black Caesar. I think a lot of people should check it out, especially now. It's very, um, it's kind of scary how. Accurate and realistic, it still is for the time. I mean, and and and
1: how. I said that about Death Wish, too. Yeah,
0: exactly. I mean, and how much it resonates still and kind of gives you a little cringe.
1: Well, because no one was paying attention during history class. That's why your history teachers drink. That's right. That's
0: right. All right. That's why I drink. (laughs) Anything else you want to add about Black Caesar before we close this episode? No, that's about it. I think that's all I got, too. I think the big curiosity now is, what next? What next? I've been thinking. I think we're going to go back to horror for a little bit. Um, There's two options that I really um, have been toying with. We could do a shallow film, The Man with Icy Eyes. It's basically about...
1: man with icy eyes? A
0: man with icy eyes who... Sleeps commits twelve no, years old. He commits a murder. Stripper sees the murder, and a reporter starts to like track down the murderer. So there's that one. Or we could go way back in time, and do a classic horror film like House on Haunted Hill.
1: For what? Because of the Universal thing? Like the, no, just getting, we're, we're, we got we got to get the mummy out of them. No, no, no,
0: no, no, not. Not because of that, but just because you sure you didn't want to do the remake of House on Haunted Hill, the, the one that we grew up knowing and love? Well, no, or, the, or like the remake of the I'm Haunting? just thinking. I'm just thinking. We generally don't go that far back. We haven't done any sort of classic. No, we have Films on the podcast, so it's you know, it's something that we are missing. So I don't know. We'll see. All right, maybe we'll put it up to a vote. Maybe I'll put it on Twitter. See, see what happens. See what people pick. What's pick. the next film that you want to see us cover? Toy Story three. <laughs> Open ballot right in. Toy Story three, please. <laughs> yeah, you'll cry at the end. I've still never seen it. Neither have I. I've seen one and two. So have I. I haven't seen three. I'm not ready to let the series go. The Toy Story four is coming out though. I know. I know. I think. Yeah, I think. I see, Pixar's just giving up on original ideas cars 4, planes, planes 3. That's yeah, what they're doing.
1: They're
0: uh, ge- they've given up. They, they, they're Wally not, 2.
1: They're not even trying anymore. Yeah. They, they don't care. They're making them they know they got people in their pocket for life now. They just can you know, they can do whatever the fuck they want.
0: Must be nice, this, you know. So, I mean, so does what is it? Dreamworks. They've got like a new uh, despicable, despicable me. me coming out. I've only seen the first one. I've seen the first one. Yeah. I don't remember it. I've never seen any other minions since, but people have overused the minions meme on Facebook, so uh, it's usually I'm done with that fifty-year-old. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I'm a minion. <laughs> all right, all right. So I'm gonna put that uh, selection up on Twitter. Uh, we're at Blood and Black Rum. You can vote on that, and uh, we'll see what happens. We'll see what we cover next week for the for the podcast. Is either Austin on or Nodil? Or The Man With Icy Eyes. Um, we also have a Facebook page. It's facebook.com slash podcast. We have a Facebook group as well, which I've been trying to kind of generate some interest in that Facebook group. Because it Facebook pages, it doesn't get shared a whole lot. And Facebook reach sucks. But the group itself is a lot easier to follow and it can, you can post discussions on there too. So anybody can post on it. So you we're,
1: should, you should really find uh,
0: Mark Zuckerberg and uh, give yeah, him a, give him a piece of my mind. I will. Uh, but so join the Facebook group as well. If you, if you search for us on Facebook, you'll find the group join that. You can, you know, have discussions, post things in there. We can actually talk. Uh, we do have an email as well, bloodandblackrumpodcast at gmail.com. Send us your uh, movie recommendations. Send us anything you like or don't like about the show, and we'll definitely respond to it and also probably bring it up on the show. Um, we uh, also have a Patreon page. It's patreon.com slash you can donate to us. We've got a few different levels for donations. You can get yourself a little mug if you uh, if you join us on there. Um, at a certain level, you can get a t-shirt, or you can just be mentioned on the show, whatever you feel like. Um, so check that out, and it, whatever you can donate helps the podcast out. We are going to throw it right back to that. We're going to get Martin a fun little swivel mic, um, and stuff like that, so... It goes right back to the show. And also, you know, you can always catch us on the regular podcast apps like iTunes, Stitcher. Uh, we're up on Podbean and a lot of other, like, really smaller smaller apps that you can use. Um, any of those that you can review on, give us a review. It uh, helps us get noticed. Um, and we appreciate everything that you, you do for us. And, and all of you listeners who tune in each week for all of the really random movies that we decide to cover on, this, on the podcast so thank you for listening um we'll be back next week with uh one of two films that we laid out and uh we hope you tune in thanks for listening take care